U.S. Army Military History Institute, Carlisle, Pennsylvania, 12 noon, August 25, 2017. It's a perfect August day at the U.S. Army Heritage Education Center in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. There's no humidity and the temperature is not going to be higher than 75 today anywhere in the region. I'd never been here before today, but I'm glad I came. I just finished doing a small bit of research at the Army Military History Institute. It's housed in the Army, Army Heritage Education Center. I'll explain that a bit later. But I wanted to tell you not to miss visiting the Army Heritage Education Center if you have a chance to stop there. Do it. It's just off the interstate. The center is open 10 to 5, Monday through Saturday, and noon to 5 on Sunday. Admission is free. No charge at all. When I entered the Heritage Education Center, I didn't know what to expect, and then suddenly, I did. There's an overwhelming presence of distinguished military fabric and pride, done without grandiose statements of accomplishment. The displays are very nice. There's enough to satisfy historians and everyone else in the family, too. I got a deep feeling of pride in my father, a retired Army vet. It struck me that the building seemed to speak, and if it does, it's casually saying, Yeah, we do difficult things, and we don't mind doing them for you. I can't wait to go back there. For a few moments, I gulped in some of my father's army experiences before I slipped down a hallway to the library where I needed to check a footnote. Yep, that's right. I'd driven 50 miles to check a footnote. <laughs> Chronicles Chapter 2 Anecdotal Reports of Other Female Union Soldiers Killed at Antietam Last week I gave a presentation on Aaron Good's discovery of the remains of a female Union soldier in June 1865. I used the same points you heard in Chapter 1 to try to show that a female Union soldier died at Antietam and is buried in the Antietam National Cemetery. After that segment of the PowerPoint, I tried to explore other reports of female casualties, both dead and wounded. These I thought should be considered separately because the reports are either sketchy and lacking in detail, or the eyewitness making the claim has historically known credibility problems. So we can easily distinguish these soldiers as we march through the different accounts of woundings or death. Let's call the soldier in the previous chapter female soldier number one, okay? I think this will help us keep track. I've searched for other accounts of female soldiers killed at Antietam for nearly two years, and only found two. For the one about a Union soldier, it's difficult to say if that story corroborates and supports the discovery by Aaron Good, 
of female soldier number one, or whether it's a separate as yet unaccounted for death. If it's corroboration, then that helps Aaron Good's legitimacy, but I don't think that he needs it. If it's a completely separate account, with no connection whatsoever, then that means that there may be two female Union soldiers who died at Antietam. We'll look at this from many sides to try to put it in perspective. The one other story about the death of a female Union soldier at Antietam comes to us from the book Nurse and Spy in the Union Army by Sarah Emma Edmonds and was first published in 1865. The book is still in circulation and you can find a copy out there on the internet or in used bookstores. Sarah's account of her activities for the Union Army is both fascinating and problematic. Some who have read it have nothing but praise for Sarah and others are harsh critics who conclude nurse and spy in the Union Army is more fantasy than fiction. Sarah Emma Edmonds, disguised as a male with the name Franklin Thompson, joined the United States Army, Company F, 2nd Michigan Volunteer Infantry Regiment in Detroit on May 25, 1861. She served at times as a nurse and mail carrier for the 2nd Michigan. She is at first she at first served as a male nurse, participating in several campaigns under General McClellan, including 1st and 2nd Battle of Bull Run, Antietam, the Peninsula Campaign, Vicksburg, Fredericksburg, and others. However, some historians today say she could not have been at all those different places at the same time. Her various roles in the Union Army seem to have given her a wide latitude to operate independently, and because of that, her experiences can be difficult for historians to examine. From 1861 to 1863, Sarah served dutifully, but when she came down with malaria, she left the service, some say she deserted, because she says she was afraid her gender would be discovered if she were sent to a military hospital for treatment. After the war, she was cleared of the charge and awarded a pension, but it's her service in Antietam that we want to look at. The parts of Sarah's book that cover her account of the death we're interested in are found in chapter 20. Two subparts of that chapter are an interesting patient and burial of a female soldier. Here is a short reading from those two segments of Sarah's book. In passing among the wounded after they had been carried from the field, my attention was attracted to the pale, sweet face of a youthful soldier who was severely wounded in the neck. The wound still bled profusely, and the boy was growing faint from loss of blood. I stooped down and asked him if there was anything he would like to have done for him. The soldier turned a pair of beautiful, clear, intelligent eyes upon me for a moment in an earnest gaze, and then, as if satisfied with the scrutiny, he said faintly, Yes, yes, there is something to be done, and that quickly, for I am dying. Something in the tone and voice made me look more closely at the face of the speaker, and that look satisfied me that my suspicion was well-founded. I went to one of the surgeons in attendance and requested him to come to see my patient. He did so, and after a moment's examination of the wound, told me that nothing could be done whatever to save him. The surgeon left me, and I administered a little brandy and water to strengthen the wounded boy, for he evidently wished to tell me something that was on his mind before he died. The little trembling hand beckoned me closer, and I knelt down beside him and bent my head until it touched the golden locks on the pale brow before me. I listened with breathless attention to every sound which fell from those dying lips. 
the substance of which was as follows. I can trust you and will tell you a secret. I am not what I seem, but am a female. I enlisted from the purest motives, and have remained undiscovered and unsuspected. I have neither father, mother, nor sister. My only brother was killed today. I closed his eyes about an hour before I was wounded. I shall soon be with him. I am a Christian and have maintained a Christian character ever since I entered the, the army. I perform the duties of a soldier faithfully and am willing to die for the cause of truth and freedom. My trust is in God, and I die in peace. I wish you to bury me with your own hands, that none may know after my death that I am other than my appearance indicates. Then looking at me again in that earnest scrutinizing manner, she said, I know I can trust you. You will do as I have requested. I assured her that she might place implicit confidence in me, and that I would do as she desired me. Then I sought out a chaplain who came and prayed with her. She was calm and peaceful. I remained with her about an hour. Then making a grave for her under the shadow of a mulberry tree near the battlefield, apart from all others, with the assistance of two of the boys who were detailed to bury the dead, I carried her remains to that lonely spot and gave her a soldier's burial, without coffin or shroud, only a blanket for a winding sheet. There she sleeps, in that beautiful forest where the soft southern breezes sigh mournfully through the foliage, and the little birds sing sweetly above her grave. And so goes the account of Sarah Emma Edmonds from her book, Nurse and Spy in the Union Army. Let's call on, let's call Sarah Emma Edmonds deceased, female soldier number two. But what of her? What of female soldier number two? How does this account help Aaron Good's discovery? I don't know that it does. It seems to stand on its own or to fail on its own. It does not diminish nor elevate the death of female soldier number one. I'll leave it to historians, fans and critics of Sarah, to measure her veracity for truth, and I have concerns about that veracity, because Sarah's story is similar to a well-known story about Clara Barton, also from Antietam. Clara Barton was treating the wounded in the northern section of the battlefield at a field hospital. One patient, with a severe neck wound, refused treatment from surgeons. Eventually Clara Barton started to attend the patient, and of course discovered that this was a female. History says that her name was Mary Galloway. Did Sarah, did Sarah Emma Edmonds, find the story of Clara Barton, or did she perhaps even witness the treatment by Clara Barton? Is this a matter of convenience or sheer coincidence? Both patients turned out to be female, and both had neck wounds. The only real difference between the stories is that Sarah Emma Edmonds' patient died and was buried by her. My only interest, my real pursuit, is female soldier number one, until some other evidence is uncovered that makes Sarah's account a separately known event. For those persons interested in the very difficult task of trying to identify the unknown dead of the Civil War, Sarah's story provides some particulars worthy of consideration. First, she fought somewhere on the field close to her brother. Perhaps she followed him into service. Or perhaps she enlisted with her true last name and took a traditional male name to be called by. This could help. But the database for the review of Union wounded and dead at Antietam is vast. How vast, you ask? 
Well, it's more than 12,000, listed by name in many cases, with related information about rank, state, regiment, company, wound description, and name of the field hospital where treated. I've managed to take several different databases and combine them into a kind of sortable spreadsheet. It works, but so far I haven't honed in on any soldier. This is difficult, tedious work, comparing the list of the wounded to census data from 1860. Perhaps one day we can make some probable findings about the identity of female soldier number one, and the one Sarah Emma Edmonds noted too. Right now there's a small team working to identify female soldier number one, a very small team. Trying to root out the identity of an unknown soldier from over 150 years ago is like, well, it's like looking for a needle in a pile of needles as big as a haystack. But try to think of it a little differently even than that. You see, the problem is that female soldiers enlisted with male names. Even if you knew the identity of a female who enlisted, you'd have problems trying to find her name on a casualty list of male soldiers. We're looking for help with this project. We need volunteers. You won't need a lot of experience with historical research. We have a process to follow, and it's a matter of following the process to sift through historical data. Not entirely easy, and mostly dead ends, but maybe if we keep at it, we can come up with some reasonable conclusions, some names that may be probable candidates to be named female soldier number one. I hope that day comes. I do. Thanks again for listening. At the start of this chapter, I said there were two sources, two personal accounts of female soldiers killed at Antietam. To hear about the other one we haven't discussed yet, please listen to Chapter 3, A Tale of Two Cemeteries. In it, we'll cover an eyewitness account of a female Confederate soldier who died retreating from the cornfield. You'll also need to know for Chapter 3 that Aaron Good conducted a survey of of the locations of Confederate field graves in 1867 to 1868. His job was to find all the graves of Confederate soldiers, try to identify the remains, and to put more dirt on the bodies. There had been erosion and the bodies were exposed. Remember Private George K. Harlow's letter to his parents? We hope you continue listening in Chapter 3 as we move ahead with the Aaron Good Chron Chronicles. We'll examine Aaron Good's work in that chapter and we'll explain the historical events that led to the creation of separate cemeteries for the soldiers of the Antietam Campaign. The Union Cemetery is, of course, the Antietam National Cemetery, and is administered by the National Park Service as part of the Antietam National Battlefield at Sharpsburg. It was dedicated in 1867, and this September will mark the 150th anniversary of its official opening. The Confederate Cemetery is 12 miles to the north, in Hagerstown. It is not administered by the Park Service. Found within the grounds of Rose Hill Cemetery, a separate plot is marked as the Washington Confederate Cemetery. It was dedicated ten years after the Antietam National Cemetery. It was 1877. If you've enjoyed our podcast so far, consider helping us. Can you spread word to others by Facebook or other social media? Can you refer a friend? Can you submit a comment to us or provide a review? Our recording techniques will improve, we promise that, but if you have comments or reviews, we'd like to hear those. Don't forget, you can c contribute accounts of the Civil War or accounts of relatives who served to be presented by us in a podcast we call Hometown Civil War. We're gathering stories, stories now, 
please email us at ASPA91762 at gmail.com. Can you contribute financially to GoFundMe Antietam Anthologies? We're trying to raise enough to establish nonprofit historical status. It costs, it really does. And if we don't ever clear that hurdle, we promise all remaining funds will go to Save Historic Antietam Foundation. They work to acquire properties near Antietam Battlefield that should be part of the park. They're good folks and good stewards. To receive notices when each chapter in the Air and Good Chronicles is ready to listen, follow the podcast by using the follow link on Podbean, or like our Facebook page, Antietam Anthologies Podcast. To know the future, study the past. This is Mark Brew, your host for the Air and Good Chronicles. Good day.